trying to get back to the basics of great products. Power comes from sharing information. I try to convince people to slow down. Free. Yeah. Open. This is the Soak Dice Podcast. Hi everyone, welcome to the first ever episode of the Soaked by Slush podcast. This fall we're going to be launching some 15-16 episodes with the most interesting entrepreneurs and investors in the world. We're going to be talking to them about their life stories, their company stories, hands-on advice, much more. So stay tuned for that. My name is William von der Palen and with me in Copenhagen I have my co-host Isak Rautio. What's up Isak? Hello William, it's nice to be here in Copenhagen. We're not there in the same room. Uh, I have this, uh, we had to make a bit of a compromise with the backdrop here. Uh, I'm in my room here in Copenhagen, actually. I will get a studio in October, so this will look a bit more professional. But hey, when did podcasts ever need to be too professional? I think this is exactly. good enough. And yeah. You can hear me at least. So that's good. That's a good starting point. This is a very Corona-like episode because our guest is uh, obviously not is, yeah. uh, present in any of the rooms mentioned mentioned before. So he's in his own room in, in Malmo. Uh, with us, we have the Global Chief Creative Officer, Uh, of Oatly, John Schoolcraft. Welcome. Yeah, hi guys. How you doing? You know, I was just thinking it was you. You just call me one of the 15 most interesting people in the world to talk to. I mean, no pressure. Yeah, exactly. I hope I don't. I hope I don't <laughs> mess that up or anything like that. <laughs> We've been for chatting for about though. 10 minutes before this episode, and it's been it's been a good it's been good so far. So the episode's over. We're we're already finished. I hope everybody enjoyed this. <laughs> Damn, we forgot to record it. But hey, I guess this is the episode then. But thanks for listening to the Soap by Slush podcast. No. <laughs> Super nice to have you here, John. Uh, we had a Makes bit sense. of a uh, we had a nice uh, email exchange, and and you agreed to uh, be here, and, and we would like to talk about Oatly. And and as William sort of explained, uh, this is a more of this this podcast. I guess it's also good for the listeners to sort of set the table, like what to expect from this podcast now in the future. And it's this is a podcast that's directed at entrepreneurs or people interested in entrepreneurship, in the world of business, and and uh, and this podcast will hopefully be able to provide some sort of pragmatic insight into the how of of, uh, of the different areas of entrepreneurship and running businesses. So uh, let's start out with uh, the story of Oatly, maybe a bit of a history of, of what Oatly is all about and then how, you, how your uh, career or story converges with that. Yeah, so... Um... So Oatly's story, Oatly's like a, built on this, the concept of change. So basically it was some researchers at the University of Lund back in the day. And they, um, the original researchers came up with um, the concept of lactose intolerance, that people couldn't, you know, that were allergic to milk. And so out of that, they looked for different, different product, like a different way to make milk. I mean, if you think about it now, like going through the body of a cow, <laughs> And then going to to a, to a factory to get processed, it's not the most efficient. But back then, we didn't have a lot of good alternatives. You know, there were there could have you know there, we all know almond milk and there was soy milk, but they were like they weren't really sufficient for many different reasons. And so, in their studies, they found that that they could make a milk that was like fantastic from oats. Oats can grow anywhere; they're super sustainable. Um, the nutritional um, Uh, the nutritionals behind oats are somewhat similar to milk, a little bit less in protein, but higher in fiber. So, so they made this product and it was great. I mean, it's like a 30 year old company. So in 2012, Tony, who's my friend, who's the CEO, got the job as, as the CEO. 
And he called me up and said, I got this job as the CEO of an oat milk company. Can we do something with it? And I'm like, oat milk? What? What? No, listen, you're on your own on that one. That sounds disgusting. I'm really happy for you. You're now a CEO. Good career move and everything. But sorry, Tony. Uh, I don't know. What do we get, like and, grass cake? Yeah. Yeah, no, it was just like, I don't know, this sounds like a tough one, you know, from a from a marketing, you know, advertising perspective, like, how are you actually going to make that interesting? So, and and I, I think the original thing was, the story actually was, I figured, like, I really hate marketing departments, because I think they ruined all my best work. So I told him, okay, if we can get rid of the marketing department, I'll do it. Um, <laughs> you know, but beside, beside that, our level was like, what happens if we get rid of the oats? Like we took it down that far. And when we started to work with it, we realized like, this isn't an oatmeal company. This is a sustainability company. This company is a vehicle actually to create change, like to create, to inspire people to make small changes in their lives that will impact them positively. And even more importantly, maybe the planet. So from that, you know, even back in 2012, the whole way of, you know, redeveloping the brand and relaunching everything was, was all about Oatly being a sustainability company, you know, on this mission to actually do something to save a planet that's in dire need of being saved. And so that, if you have that as a background, you realize that we never sell things. Everything we talk about is all about just having a dialogue with people um, and it's not, it's never been about selling oat milk for profit, you know, transact, transit, transactional capitalism. Like you give me something, you know, I give you something and you give me money and woo, it's a success. There's a profit. And we all go home. It's like, that's not interesting. That's like, that's the problem with the world. So, so we looked at it in a completely different way. How did you, because uh, uh, there's people who want to get into entrepreneurship and they, they find it difficult to incorporate their own value systems. I mean, you mentioned sustainability and, and one of the pernicious things about sustainability is that people, uh, it has a, as many definitions as there are people who know what sustainability is sort of. And there's, there's, there's sometimes people find it difficult to grasp at anything real or anything that you can incorporate into a business model or a company. How did you go about finding that identity and actually tie it to something real that you can make a difference in, in the world? Um, I, I don't know. I, th I think that when we started, both Tony and I were like, again, because we've been friends for a long time, we, there, there was a, there was a reason we just said like, you know, kind of like, fuck it. We're going to put our own personal values into this company. <laughs> yeah. And instead of having corporate values, cause I haven't seen any set of corporate values that I find interesting. They're all just like, you know, right. like keywords and it's like, they don't mean anything. So if we put human values into the company and we speak about those human values, that's going to resonate with people because people are humans. They don't want to talk to a logo. They want to actually talk to other humans. So, um, you know, we had, we, we just did what we think was right. And that made uh, it an interesting company. And then there's that whole self-critical thing. I think if you're an entrepreneur starting out, like, why are you do, why are you doing what you're doing? Are you doing it? just to make money? Or are you doing it? I think people need to start. This is the whole push that Oatly is actually about is that how are you going to benefit society? Like, what are you doing? Like, why do people, why should you even be in business? How is it going to, you know, benefit, you know, the reckless pursuit of profits 
is like capitalism in its finest form and it's just it's just messing things up how instrumental do you think this finding finding the you know the core values and, and turning yourself from an, from an oat milk company into a sustainability company and then doing the rebranding around those human values was to to your yeah to the success you you have yeah it's instrumental i mean the the thing is is that think about it like you're back in 2012 um tony comes into the company and and you start talking about all these things that you're going to do but your actual rebrand doesn't get out till 2014 So you have a period of about, I don't know, 15 months, 16 months where nothing's really happening. It's just kind of, um, it's just kind of, you know, talk. Um, everyone's kind of, you know, trusting what, what, what you're going to do. And, um, I don't know if, 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 if you, I, if you look back at that time, um, I think the, I don't know. I think the the whole the whole way of approaching that we were working with something um, as uninteresting as oat milk. Like it's super interesting now because people have seen it's a it's a it's a vehicle to plant based. But back then it was oat milk. It was like right. the only people who drank it were like people who were allergic to something or couldn't have the real thing. You know, it was like the uncoolest. Thing of all. So if we didn't find a way to talk about that in a way that was actually interesting, there's like no one would listen to us. So I think those those values, instrumental, um, you know, every 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 the whole approach to how we're talking about it was talk like oat milk, not like a scientist, even though the whole idea is a scientific one. But talk about it like it's just like you would talk to your friends about it, like a group of people helping other people find something cool to try. Yeah, exactly. Because right. it could have turned out to be just another, you know, uh, you know, there was there was soy milk and there was almond milk and all these various uh, plant-based products around already. And and as you said, Oatly is it's 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 nothing, not something that you came up with in 2012. It's it's much older than that. And um, Was no, in 2012, we had like the startup company that was like 20 years old. Yeah. Like we had factories yeah. and we had food scientists and everyone knew what they were doing. And it was like, wow, we got a startup. We got this factory. Um, but it wasn't easy. I mean, I mean, a lot of like our breakthrough happened by by choosing a strategy of going to the top end coffee shops to baristas and showing them a product. We had a breakthrough product. We had the best product. But the response we got in the beginning was like, what plant based? fuck off. Like we don't, we don't need another, we don't need yeah. another plant-based. Like every time a barista did a pour, the plant-based milk would ruin it. So they weren't thinking sustainability. They were just thinking, I want to pour the best coffee. Right. So yeah. it was just like, no, we have soy, we have almond. Can you guys go someplace else and leave us alone? We're trying to work here. And so it was just, it's a long process of actually having a great product letting them pour it and find out, wow, it's microfilmable. And then actually having thought behind it of this, it has a sustainability message. You're saving 70% carbon emissions every time you pour this coffee. And that's why it took off. I right. think. That's interesting. You said, because uh, that's such a small, but I think powerful point. The fact that if you introduce this new product, this new plant-based product, plant-based product that doesn't really have anything deeper behind it is just going to be met with a reaction of what is this 
Like, what, what, why do I need this thing? We already have a nice milk here I can use. So, I mean, what what is the sort of resistance? How do you how did you incorporate your voice or stand? I guess stand behind your voice and message in front of this resistance. And when did you sort of see the tipping point uh, of of? Well, I don't know. The thing over? is, you have to look at like oat milk is completely different than almond milk. So almond milk has like one or two almonds in it. It takes four liters of of water to grow an almond, <laughs> you know, I don't know, yeah. a huge percent, 80% is grown in California. They're just pumping water. It's 10% of California's water resource. There's so many things yeah. like that crop is just, yeah, it's 10% of California's water resource are pumped out to the desert where they're growing almond trees. You know, it's like, wow. it's like you start to think about this. Wow. This is just, and so oat milk is different. First of all, it's like, it's a great, great product. It tastes really good. It works really good with coffee. All those things need to be in place. We have all these amazing food scientists that have been working kind of like, not in secrecy, but without any, you know, great cred or that they haven't been famous for 20 years, just making this great oat milk. And so it's just like, it was like, we looked at it like, wow, this is an amazing product, but no one really knows about it. So um, the resistance part, I think, is just like the resistance is resistance in anything. If you've, if you've got a, a terrible product and you're getting resistance, there's nothing you're going to do in a branding, you know, in a branding point of view to make that good. But if, if you have a great product and it just needs to be, you know, people need to try it. And that was kind of the departure point for us is that people just need to try it. Then you have to find a way to actually get them interested to try it. So our whole entire uh, marketing budget or yeah, or we didn't have a marketing budget in the beginning. So the only thing we had was the packaging that our products were in. So we just said, these are like billboards. It's our out of home campaign. We'll just create this packaging that doesn't look like any other packaging and is designed to get people to walk over in the store, pick it up and turn it to the side and start yeah. reading. And once they do that, they got to take it home. And then they're going to be like, they're going to do two things. Like, this is great, or this fucking is terrible. And if they think it's terrible later, you know, see you later, it's done. But if they think it's great, then we got, you know, then you can, then they're going to get more interested. They're going to look at our other products. They're never going to try the cooking cream or they'll go over to the ice cream or they'll find something else. So it's quite simple if you look at it from a strategic basis, but it's just like executing on things right. Yeah, exactly. And this is, seems to be a recurring theme from talking to many famous entrepreneurs or interesting companies that you most of them start very small with this non-scalable effort. You know, running from coffee shop to coffee shop is not maybe the most uh, most uh, or the most efficient way to to get scale. You could think, but that's also the only way to actually get customers and get the first people to love it and talk about it. And then once once you hit the ground running, then it kind of feeds off itself. But I think many entrepreneurs have that kind of yeah, yeah, wrong way around. It's it's so important what you're saying because when we launched in the US, so imagine Swedish company launching in the US, it's the greatest achievement you can do in your lifetime. Like how many have actually made it? We can count on one hand. So we're going to launch in the US and every expert will say, you got to get into retail, you got to get into the supermarkets. Obviously, but if you're in the dusty aisle, the aseptic aisle where no one ever goes, who's going to look at it? So we 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 looked at it completely differently. It, it, it's 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 like, so how do you make that recommendation? How do you do that introduction? The whole thing was the barista is 
um, going to re recommend it and they're going to talk about it and they're going to provide you if they like the product. So, so our whole strategy was to not do what anyone else actually did or told us to do. It was to like go into the center as far deep as we could get into the cultural center where people actually coffee shop. That's where they go to talk about life and then find a way in there and they'll try it there. And then it will, 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 will grow from that. Yeah, exactly. And it's the only way to do that is to knock on doors. Like, yeah. like we 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 didn't like send out salespeople. We found people in the coffee business, and they just walked the streets, knocked on doors, dropped off product, didn't sell. Try it. If you like it, I'll be back. We can we can you know we can talk about it. Or if you want to know any technical facts about it, we can talk about it. So it was very very grassroots. And most companies don't want to invest the time. They don't want to build the staff. They don't want to work with people in the, you know, they just want to like get those numbers up and get it cranking and show some success. But it's like, I think that's the entrepreneurial way is that you realize that success, nothing's going to come like overnight. You actually have to like work for it and you have to go way further than you're expected to go. When you started this U.S. expansion, what was the hit rate? If you can give an estimate, I have, of, no, of I, I have no idea. Numbers. I think in the beginning it was just like, what? What is this? We launched uh, in Intelligentsia. It was like one of the the most prominent, you know, um, um, coffee shops or small chains of coffee shops. And so it's also building up credibility. The way it works is like the barista coffee shop world is 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 big but small, and so everyone. Um, Everyone kind of knows each other and they know what everyone else is doing. So, um, yeah, I, I um, yeah. it's difficult to say probably. Yeah. You probably don't have stats on that. People don't log their hits and misses. No, but I mean, it's just, it was just hard work. It's just like, no, 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 I don't want right. it. And then they hear about it someplace else and then they come back and then um, it, it's yeah. just like the hit rate. It's like, personally, I think the misses are so important. Like, Having the low hit rate, I said, again, the product was absolutely fantastic. So as soon as people started trying it, they realized that it didn't ruin their pour. In fact, it was almost better than milk in some cases or different, but it actually tasted better. So I, I think like once it started going and then you start to like, you start to get acceptance from the, the top people in the industry, it goes really, really fast. Because everything else to com you know you could compare it with it was, and we're talking like 2017 here, like, like right, everything's changed. Like the like now there's like I don't know everyone who can try to produce an oat milk is trying to produce an oat milk, and everyone's talking plant based. And if you look back, it was still like you're some weird Swedish people with your oat milk, <laughs> you know, and and it's like that's cool. We, we were cool with that the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but yeah, you sort of stood, some... yeah, stood behind it. Yeah, exactly. But since it, since it, you've obviously had um, a great amount of momentum. You you grown tremendously in the uh, last few years, and and with that, of course, also um, there's been there's been a need to, to you know get new investors aboard and and grow and, and enter new markets. And um, yeah, we agreed before the episode to to also touch upon the the recent. Uh, uh, events that has been that have been present in the media with the recent investment by by Blackstone and then alongside Natalie Portman and Oprah and, and the likes and um, uh, that created a bit of a stir uh, among 
uh, Oatly lovers and and people in general um, in both ways. There's there's been an active discussion. I've been following it on, on social media a bit and and read statement from from different medias and different plant-based influencers yeah. and, and Oatly's statement as well. And and it's been a very interesting discussion to follow in many ways. But yeah, you know, can I and. and and sort of set the table for this a bit like it's it's uh the discussion has been there but the, this sort of entrepreneurial perspective of the 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 insides of the decision making process and and whatever goes into a company with such a i guess a reformist human ideal entering into this big game of 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 old values and old uh, sort of traditions and 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 habits and such like of course there's going to be some resistance so there hasn't been much discussion into the sort of interplay of this dynamic no because it's so hard for everyone to see like like i i someone told me about like there was a finnish brand you know all these like brand experts they, they know nothing about brands i don't know why they could be brand experts but they're like they didn't even do their <laughs> I don't know research who they are. I don't know what... <laughs> you know like they didn't even do their research they didn't know what they were getting into and we spent five months in like philosophical discussions of analysis and 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 thought going into it i think i think one of the i mean Obviously, we knew there would be a backlash to this because it's not a a very it's not like the obvious decision. I think the root of this has to, a lot to do with the fact that people don't trust companies. <laughs> like the mm. trust for a company is very very low. And along comes Oatly, and there's a feeling like we didn't build up like customers. We built up like like we call it, you know, like a cult, but we built up actually like friends, like it's a, it's a movement. And so all of a sudden the movement makes a very weird decision to go to private equity. Now everyone doesn't understand that most private equity is, they have the investments everywhere and all the evil things in the world. And uh, unfortunately not all the good things, but Uh, why could you make that decision? <laughs> like, why would you do that? And our thought process was, and this is this is something that that I think if people think through it a little bit, they they'll understand, or maybe they won't understand. Was um, we are falling behind on the global uh, initiatives and the goals to save the planet. Like we have to we have to cut things in half, the greenhouse gas emissions by 2030. We're fucking that up. We're not even close. I mean, we we're focused on COVID and we're focused on partying or having a you know getting out in the sun or whatever it may be, going to the sauna, whatever you want to do. We're not focused on that. And so we look at it and say we aren't going to make it. The second thing is is we're not going to make it unless the huge mass amounts of capital stream in the world actually shift and start helping us. So if you look at those two things. Um, there is nothing more important for Oatly to do than to find a way to shift those capital streams. So we're this amazing investment opportunity, and all we're doing is we're going to exploit that moment and use that to inspire capital. There's four trillion U.S. dollars in private equity in the world, and a very 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 small fraction of that goes to green investments yeah if i'm so it goes to coal and it goes to pipelines yeah. and it goes to gas and so if you want to actually move that so what's better let's say you have four trillion everything that goes from that that goes over to something green 
ultimately has to be a win. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's, 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 it's quite simple. That is a win. If you, if you, if I were to say to you, if someone's to give $200 million to Greenpeace, Blackstone, $200 million to Greenpeace, would that be cool? And you'd be like, fuck you, what, really? Yeah, yeah that'd be like- I can't trust that, Greenpeace anymore, yeah. Right. <laughs> I can't trust Greenpeace anymore, now they're evil. <laughs> no, but you would say, that's great. Like it's going from there and it's going to Greenpeace. That's basically what's happened. The only problem is no one's gonna give it to Greenpeace because it's a donation. They need to be able to turn a profit on that because private equity has to meet their four or 5%. You know, they have to like, it's, it's your pension fund and my pension fund. Mm. You know, it's like, this, that's what they're working on. So, so our thing is, is yeah. like, if you can show them that there's a different way, that there's a different direction, that will inspire others to do the same. And we'll start to move the capital and therefore come closer to actually meeting those, those you know, cutting, cutting carbon emissions by 50%. Yeah. In a, in a very big way, this is, a, this is a very sort of nice, it's also contemporary, it's a nice sort of example of how to, uh, well, first of all, how to do this, uh, this sort of transition, but then also to explain that we are in a transitional point in, in the world right now. And for things to transition, for $4 trillion to transition one, from one place to another, it takes time and it goes incrementally. And these incremental movements uh, yeah. will happen in some sort of space of compromise. Is that kind but of what not you're if saying? We, no, but yeah, well, I'm just saying like, so how is it going to happen? Right. Like how are yeah. you going to get it to move? It yeah. does not going to move by itself. If everyone's content, it's not going to move. So if you're going to do like massive transformative societal change, you've got to have friction and you've yeah. got to realize that it's not going to be easy. Change is like change is like the hardest thing of all. Think about it. Oakley's been sitting on the outside just hitting the system. We're punching in a little bit. We're writing on our packages. It says the the um, the reckless pursuit of profit should be criminal. Think about that. That's on yeah. our package in 2014. The reckless pursuit of should be considered criminal. So we're punching on the outside all the time. And you punch and you punch and you punch and it's like, oh, this is great. We've achieved this. But we don't feel like we want to be able to look in the mirror and say, fuck, we're actually doing something. Like we're not stepping up unless we try to change the system even more. And so yeah, now is this we're what like penetrating the monolith looks like this kind of. Yeah, it's like you we're taking a step, you know, a, we're taking a step on the inside, you know, and once you make right, the commitment yeah. that we're going to take the step on the inside and fight on the inside too. Is there any place better to go than into the belly of the beast, like straight into the number one private equity company in the world, Blackstone? And if we can achieve um, change there. I mean, no matter how small that change may be, it will grow and inspire and create other change. We might never be able to, to, to measure it. We will never get credit for it. It doesn't matter. It's just you've got to take these bolder steps in order to actually create that change. And I, th I think some of the backlash to this is, is ironically <laughs> the same people who want the same thing. You know, it's like, it's like we want the same thing. We want to save the planet. It's just that it's like, oh, no, you can't do that by taking that money. It's like it, it's I, I understand this because I, I personally don't like companies. 
I don't like the capitalistic system. I hated the New York Yankees all my life because they were the baseball <laughs> team with the biggest budget. And the, yeah. you know, you know, it's like if you are that way and you're working in the system, um, I, I think you need this. You need the friction, you know. So I understand the people who who feel like we've um, that they don't understand the decision. I, I totally understand with them because I, I myself put companies in the kind of good and bad. Um, yeah, I think also the, the problem is, is uh, for some people, I think is also with, with the investment is that, you know, uh, obviously, as you said, Oatly is a great investment opportunity and, and there's rumors of IPOs going forward and, and you keep growing. It's going to be a good investment for, for Blackstone and everyone else. And I think some people are worried about, okay, you're going to turn more profit for Blackstone and then that money is not going to be invested in, you know, similarly sustainable businesses and and. Uh, I think that that might be part of of, uh, of the worry as well, and and maybe also some people are worried that Oatly now has this powerhouse, be, you know, behind them. That you know, is this the first step in slipping from the values? And and you know, if it doesn't go that well, you can use a lot of money or maybe not that ethical tactics to to you know start taking market share. That might but, be part of it. But right as well. there is your issue. Right there is the issue with trust for companies. You know, it's like mm. it's like we built up this massive trust with everyone, and it's so fragile. Not yeah. with everyone, because a lot of people say like, "No way, I know those people. They're never going to compromise those values." But other people, it's like it just fragile like oh now they've gone over and instead of saying like now they've gone in deeper like their commitment is even greater like it's a bet that we're doing and it's this bet made on based on hope like think about it if we go back to the beginning of this interview we were like these naive people like when tony and i started like we're going to change the world we're going to sell oat milk we're going to get people like it was the craziest idea ever I mean, we have 45 employees yeah. and we had a turnover of 200 million Swedish crony, $20 million. That was like, how are you ever going to do it? It's the same thing now. This is a bet based on hope. There's a not, it's, it's like, it's easy to say it's naive, but the thing is, it's like, and again, I understand if people don't, don't, because they don't have that view into the company, but it's like money isn't driving this from the leadership of Oatly's standpoint. Uh, I, I can't speak for what drives Blackstone. I could surmise because, you know, they're very good at the game of capitalism. But what's driving us is something completely different. And our feeling is that if we don't grow, you know, the more we grow, the more we can spread about plant-based, the better chances we have to change a lot of the issues with the carbon emissions. So again, it's it's um there's there's an understanding from our point of, about the feeling that could be out there, but at the same time, it's like we feel that we this is the most important decision right now that we can ever make for the sake of the planet, and we're we're willing to take the black backlash, and then to work every single day to prove people to prove to people that everything that we're putting in place is even deep more deeply rooted in what we're doing and it's like again i'm not none of us are in control of how things work and it's like it's not my system i didn't create the system of of capitalism or things it's like for me it's just like i've got to work within you know like what are the yeah. tools that i have that where i can contribute and one of the things is this that people can sit back and point the finger but like 
what is the consumer doing? How are they educating themselves? How are they looking at things? Those are things that everyone needs to ask themselves. It's just that we did that and then we took the decision, which, which we think is like the total right decision. And the only way that, you know, we've got to prove that, obviously, it's a proof like anything else. Yeah. I don't know how much you can go into this, but you, you said one thing, which I think is very true, is that people didn't witness the five months of deliberation that went into this decision. So do you want to sort of open the curtains a bit and talk about some of the arguments pros and against, uh, pros and pro and con uh, this decision that were spoken about? The most prominent No, but I mean, obviously, people have painted companies into, you know, their reputations, whatever the, whatever the reputation of a company is. So I think that any time that we would go into a major private equity player. I mean, if if you look there, there's, you know, everyone's going to point and say, oh, your owners are into this, therefore you're a bad company. That's just the way it is. So anytime that you look at in private equity, I mean, some of the facts behind this is that in order to build, so everyone who's listening probably knows that it hasn't been that easy to get a hold of Oatly products. Like they're sold out all the time, all over the world. And it's, that's a question of like supply and demand. So we're not able to meet the demand and we may never be able to meet the demand, but in order to meet that demand, we have to build factories and factories aren't something that you build in like two months. And they're not something that costs like $5 million. They're like very expensive. So if we don't build those, then we're we're not filling that demand unless people are eating plant based. So, in 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 this in this round of funding, and again, I'm not the expert. This is you know I, I work with the brand, but in this round of funding, there was there was a 200 million dollar green loan. So it has sustainability goals and objectives in the loan. And in order to for that loan to perform in the best way, we have to meet all these objectives. And then there was a round of private equity funding also, which included part of it was Blackstone. There were some others, and then you got Oprah and uh, Jay Z and uh, a number of others. Now, Howard Schultz uh, and, and others. So, um, and the, the 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 feeling was all, all always has been is that you want, you know, we we obviously realize that we feel that we can change the system, that we can inspire people to change, that having a a direct line to people at Blackstone and to discussing with them everything that we're about is something that when you're on the outside, you're just hitting. But we're on the outside hitting and we're on the inside hitting. And so it's kind of doubled up our game. And that allows us to even, you know, like, double down on our investments. We make the bigger investments. And we realize, like, anytime a company goes from a little nerdy Swedish company in the middle of a field to a bigger global company, it's it, there's a risk that it can lose its mojo because we like the small player. And so, again, the only way we can prove that is by being like, this fucking little Swedish company in the field hitting on the outside the whole time, no matter how big we get. Yeah. So that's, those are the decisions that, you know, when you, when you make those decisions, um, you look at it and for us to take already green money because it would be convenient, it would look good on paper, but change absolutely nothing. Mm. We felt that would be the worst thing that we could do. It's the easiest thing for the brand. It would be the smoothest thing for everyone. 
I wouldn't have to spend my days writing statements or trying to answer things or trying to explain this. It would just be like, but that wouldn't be the right thing for the planet. <laughs> you know, it's better to shift, to take something that would go someplace else and to move it over to a green investment and let every other venture capital company look at that and say, you mean I can make money on that? Like, mm. that's a good investment. <laughs> Right. Okay, I'm going to do that investment. And it inspires, you know, the whole, uh, again, I can imagine private equity looks a lot at what everyone else is making money on and then shifts their money over there. And if this can start that shift, fine. The next question, though, is where are the companies to invest in? Yeah, you know, this is, the, this, is the, this is the bigger play. Like, so where are the companies to invest in? I think there are a lot of private equity companies that are invested in coal and they're invested in oil and they're invested in those things that you would think aren't the coolest from a sustainability perspective. And they're like, okay, we want to clean this thing up. Like we want to go more green. How are we going to do it? And they're like, okay, I got some little startups going on here, but again, yeah. they got the pension fund of the, I don't know, South Dakota teachers union, and they've got to turn that four or 5% or they're not going to get their pension. So they're like, yeah, nah, that's a risk. So I need something bigger. I need something in movement. I need an investment that I can actually, you know, feel good about. <laughs> Cause I think we're right. people, everyone's people. I think that um, everyone's people, except for maybe um, Donald Trump, but that's another yeah. question. <laughs> But, you know, but everyone's people, but, um, but, and I think they want to do the best thing, but it's like, where are those? And this is the key part to it is that you can look at it now and say, there aren't that many green companies. And then you can say like, yeah, but they're coming because it's going to get critical. And when it gets mm -hmm. critical, our only hope is that entrepreneurs step up and start doing crazy, wonderful things that get us out of this shitty position that we're in. And if the money's already there, because this little oat milk company triggered something, then it's like, I'm going to go back and look at this and say, like, this was the biggest, most important thing we did, maybe even more so than making oat milk, you know? Yeah, because, you know, investors aren't, of course, they aren't stupid. And everyone is understanding that the shift is, is going towards, you know, sustainable businesses being good investments and, and not being mutually exclusive anymore. Uh, you don't have to be a non-profit or an NGO or something like that anymore to, to do good things. Uh, rather, the best business opportunities will probably come from solving the biggest issues in the world, uh, as you said. So, when, And I think, know, that, I think that you have, again... The, the world that we've all built up is not something that we necessarily can be super proud of, especially in the last, you know, 100 years or something. There's been a lot of greed in the system. There's been a lot of just turning profits. Um, and I, I think that um, there are a lot of investors in those positions that really don't feel good necessarily about representing those investments. And they want to shift. They want to find something better. That's the that's the start of it. You have to believe that humanity is basically good. Hmm. And so you have to say that's the start of it. So how can we speed that process up? You know, it's like, you would, I understand that if you're a consumer out there and you just look at the headline, it's a very Trumpian headline, like Oatley's owner invested in this and they're friends with this. You know, it's like, it's, it's like, an oversimplification and then a quick, easy 
uh, cancel culture uh, statement, and then I feel good about myself. But it's actually working against everything they stand for. It's actually like extremely detrimental to their own set of values. And I think that that's something that people just have to have time to work through. Um, it's yeah. it's kind of a natural thing. And then again, you've got to work. I mean. It, if you're going to create system, systemic change, there's like layers all over the place and all these levers you have to pull. And maybe only has a couple levels and a few levers. And we're trying to pull like everything we can to do our part, to step up and do our part. But we need like other people to do things. So we realize like we inspire consumers. They eat more plant-based. They eat more plant-based you get a lot more oat milk makers. Now we got like 20 oat milk makers. Great. They're making oat milk instead of processing cow, cow's milk into milk. That's a lever. We pulled it, jumped up and let, you know, it's like, it's a process and all these different things have to play. And we realize that if we inspire some of these things and these things can be against us, they can be companies who compete with us. Um, it doesn't matter that they're gaining ground too is great. It's like, it's like if all the plant-based uh, makers jump up to the next level, great. Of course, we we want to lead that. We want to be that like generational company that people look back and say, once in a generation, there was a company that actually led something. That that's the role that we like kind of aim to play. And to do that, you need some size. <laughs> you know, you need to build your oat milk factories. Um, you need to build oat milk factories that are, in fact so efficient that you can lower the price because again if it's 6.99 a carton for you know like two liter carton in the u.s who's going to buy that it's not mm -hmm. like the people in inner city atlanta who are lactose intolerant who really need oat milk you know it's like those are the things that we think about you know produce efficiently get the price down make it more available to to a lot more people there's so many there's so levels so many levels of complexity uh, I think in that. So it's, it's, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's not, it's not black and white. We, people want to live in this black and white world and it's like full of color and nuanced and it needs to be explored. I want to, I want to tie this to what you said in the beginning about uh, the sort of human voice of Oatly and finding like actually having research behind and the complex decision-making complex logic behind the, 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 I guess, simply packaged human statement and human voice of the company. When you're faced with a situation like this, which is equally complicated mm. in the other direction, how do you go about uh, communicating this or sort of sustaining this, sustaining your voice at, uh, throughout this crisis or crisis? I crisis, just think it's thing. like, yeah, I think it's trying to be as human as possible. And that's not always possible because we made a very pragmatic decision in a very emotional world and we're like, we're emotional too like and we know people make emotional decisions so it's very easy when you feel like the people who like loved you the most all of a sudden just don't show that love anymore you know it's like an emotional thing so i i i think our way about this is is just is just been to be as honest and open and transparent as we possibly can and to not fall into like this defensive situation where we're trying to like feel like we're explaining things all the time because a lot of the things that we've just talked about now and we're just like still scratching the surface because of the complexities it's 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 
it's not like an easy thing to explain. The simple reason is, is that we made a decision to do the best thing for the planet. And, and even if that decision was, was controversial and it was, you know, it was, it was difficult. So, and I, I think, I think the whole thing is, is we're a company of people trying to help other people out. And that's what we're going to be tomorrow. And as we go forward, it'll just be more and more obvious of all the projects that we're, we're doing. You know, it's like we're working with farmers in Iowa and Minnesota to reintroduce, yeah. to reintroduce oats because the topsoil in the U.S. is dead in 30 years. You won't be able to grow anything on it. So we're reintroducing oats as a way of like um, helping the topsoil, you know, and it's like, no one sees these things that we're doing. It's like, why would you do that? It's like, because we actually care about the food system that we have that's broken. And so I think the way forward is, is not to try to explain everything we do because, it, you know, again, you've got to earn that trust. And if we've lost it, we'll earn it again. It's just to instead do like actually show that even if a company gets more funding and has more money and builds more factories, they can still be the cool oak punk, um, you know, fighting against the system from the outside and the inside regardless. And we haven't had that many companies that have done that, obviously, because the management may change. But it's like, it's the same management who's running the company and we make the decisions. And just because capital comes in from the outside doesn't mean that capital makes the decisions. It's the management who makes the decisions. And we're going to make the same decisions that we made regardless. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing when Metallica became mainstream. It wasn't just a Bay Area underground trash metal band, sort of, yeah, punching the inside from the outside and punching the mainstream of the music scene from the outside anymore. And then some people just get a distaste for that. Of course. Mainstreaming. Of, uh, yeah, I, totally, I totally understand that. That's the problem, is that if we really want to change, like inspire change in the world, we need to be more mainstream. And the idea, the concept of mainstream is uncool. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, okay, you're mainstream. Now you're not interesting anymore. Okay, so how do you be mainstream and still remain interesting? Yeah, exactly. Good question. Right. Maybe you guys, maybe you guys got the answer because if you know that, we'll call you. Yeah, we'll call you. <laughs> we'll call you, Johnny, because that's a great question. Yeah. And maybe it's not even a question with a with a simple answer. Maybe it's just an ongoing process. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I think everything's an ongoing process, and I think that's the one of the. I mean, one of my whole theories on things is, you know, every single time that you that you get into this, you know, adversity or conflict or failure, if you go back in our history and look at the the, the evil Swedish milk lobby uh, suing us, that it's like most people look at that and they can get like, oh, wow, this is so crazy. It's so terrible. Now we're done. The evil Swedish milk lobby sued us. But we looked at it just like as a brief. It's the greatest brief to do something amazing. And that's how we looked like at the last week. I mean, again, um, this is like the most inspiring brief I've ever received in order to like dig down even deeper and to prove everyone who has any doubts that they're actually wrong. And so I need that brief. The creative department needs that brief. Everyone at Oatly needs that brief in order to like begin that proof process. And so... It's, it's like, it's, it sounds a little bit weird, but it's also like there is something, like there's so much energy in how you deal with, with, with failure or adversity or conflict. 
maybe for the last part of this podcast, I'd I'd like to maybe get a bit more hands-on still, uh, since I think personally, at least, you're one of the most interesting creative people on on earth. And if you look at what you've done with Oatly, it's it's still in it's um, yeah, it's very. Uh, Uh, maybe in, in some way it, it's not you haven't made the most obvious marketing choices and, and you've enlightened us on, on on you know why you made the choices and finding the human voice and, and finding the values but maybe looking at um, entrepreneurs and or aspiring entrepreneurs who are who are stuck uh, with their own companies or are looking to to start something how would you you know advise them to to go about building brands or finding your voice or, or starting these kinds of, of exercises So I, I I start with kind of a, I mean, when we started this, we started with kind of a very, we just figured like people don't need brands. Like if you think about it, like brands think that they're really needed and they're not. People need something like more real. And so when you give them, if you treat them more real and you give them something more real, people will be attracted to it. I mean, the whole idea of a brand, if you look back in the beginning of the 19th logo and you remember it, so you go into the store and I have some trust for this. I mean, I think we're kind of like through that period. So I think when people are building things, they should have that in mind that they have to do something for real and they have to treat people like real humans. And when you start in that area, then you like approach things differently. Like there isn't a sales process because like I look at it like if I do an ad, I love, the, uh, we do an ad and we put it in the Atlantic magazine or we put it in, you know, very well written, very smart magazine in the US and people write into me and complain about it. That gives me energy. Like, why are you complaining? And they're complaining because that ad annoyed them or, or something like that, you know? And it's like, wow, you took the time to actually write to me about that? <laughs> like, took your time in your life and write, I know they're going to go try the product. So again, it's it's more like fitting, you know, like fitting in or conflicting or being part of culture and like finding your way in a world and not in a brand world, not in a market. Marketing is not interesting. So it's like stepping outside those things and then instead, you know, um, finding how you fit in. And then there's the whole thing of contributing. I really think that there doesn't need to be a conflict with contributing to society and making money. <laughs> you know, it's like we can take capitalism and you can, you can, you can uh, regulate it to the point where, um, I mean, when I say regulated, when it's totally unregulated, that's where you have issues of just, you know, capitalism gone bad. But if you actually take that and then you move it um, and people approach it as, so what's my contribution? then they're going to feel good about what they're doing and they're going to get that respect back. I think we're moving into a world that's going to be very, very different from, from the one that we had where people are going to pay a lot more attention on, on actually, so what are you doing and how does that affect me and my life and, and society and those around me? Yeah, exactly. Because it seems that, you know, most companies nowadays will have basically the same resources that they can use if you're building, uh, at least if you're building something a bit smaller, in scale and doing doing web shops or whatever you have the same you can use the same amazon web structures and you can use online designers or whatever so it's you you can't really differentiate yourself with 
with these uh, kind of things anymore. You need to actually find something that people are interested in and not just interested in buying, but interested in, in talking about. It seems like there's a big shift going on at the moment. Yeah, and I can give you guys an example. Like everyone runs a lot of data in their companies. You know, they do like all these market research things. We don't do anything. Like I look at no, I don't even have a target group. People say, what's your target group? Why, why does it matter if I want to talk to a 16-year-old girl or a 45-year-old doctor? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's like who's interested in what they put in their body and who's interested in having a planet to live on in the future? 80% of the population, um, you know, or whatever, 90% of the population. Yeah. So it's like I don't look at data because all the data is coming from the same angle. And so your interpretation of the data most likely will be the same. And if you miss your interpretation point of the data – then your idea is going to be like seriously off. Now, if you instead look at people, like listen to people, talk to people, ride the bus, um, whatever it may be, then you're going to have a much better understanding of culture. And if we spend a lot more of time doing that, then we do of just like looking at numbers for the answers. Because numbers tend to be like some sort of like, you know, safety cushion for everyone. Like, oh, but the numbers were there. It's like, why, like safety, because that's like the worst thing possible. It's better to take the risks and to actually look and do what you do, you believe in. Yeah. So there's something about having your finger on the pulse of the zeitgeist by just being out there. That's super valuable. I, I, I think so. I mean, again. Even just as a human, that's valuable, I think. No, exactly. But I mean, a lot of the things that I do is I like before we went to the U.S., I ask a lot of people. So where does culture start in the U.S.? And no one could answer that question. It was like yeah. no one ever thought about it. It's like, I don't know, a sneaker shop in Brooklyn. Okay, a sneaker shop in Brooklyn. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Like, where does change happen? Like, where, mm. where, where, where? Because that's what kind of where you want to be. And in, in one sense, it's the coffee shop. I mean, that's where life is talked about. Like, my problems, yep. my successes, whatever. I meet my friends. Um, or you talk about the fact that you have a president that's doing everything that he can to destroy the planet. You know, and it's like, oh, that's not very good. So it can be, you know, there's a, there's, I, I think that if if you remove yourself a lot of times from the business aspects of business and you put yourself in the human aspects of the world and then let's let business be a vehicle in order to achieve some of your goals, it becomes quite interesting. Um, it becomes very interesting, in fact. And I think most people are just stuck in the fact that they got an idea and they call themselves an entrepreneur and they need to be able to get some sort of valuation so they can, you know, get some kind of return on their original investment. Like, all these terms are just like, if you think about it, it's like, wow, okay, how interesting is that? People should just be doing the coolest thing that they can and trying to contribute and doing stuff. And and if it if it ends up in, you know, some sort of like monetary reward, that's 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 great. You know, bitch and yeah. cool. Yeah. What a great. shame to to be having to end this discussion. I could personally stay on for <laughs> another couple of hours. This has been great. This has been really, really great. Thank yeah. you so much. But, well, yeah. like I said, the whole thing is, is like, try to be as transparent as possible on things like this. And even like you go through rough periods of time and it's like, obviously, like I can't talk about all kinds of things on a money deal because of the rules and laws that govern that. So, and again, I'm not in all, in all the money discussions at all. So it's just like, it's, it's, it's good though to try to give people some sort of insight 
into how a company thinks when they go about making decisions that can be controversial or, controversial or, yes. or difficult. And again, I am a person who personally has prejudged everyone very quickly on every decision that was that was made, you know? And so I understand that people do that, but I think when you when you're living in things and you see the complexities and that everything is nuanced and it's not black and white, it's gray and full of color. And um, that if people just like, you know, look at that and apply that to their own life and the decisions they make, they can realize that, that, okay, wow, I need to like, I need to understand this a little bit more and then I need to step up myself. So, yeah. And, and I think it's good also to realize like this is the language of the hand uh, of the, of the hands on, information regarding this clash of values or this new sort of reformatory force in this in this field like capitalism and the companies emerging it's coming more is coming this is like this yeah. is wonderful like i get yeah. so blown away that an oat milk company um an oat milk company i'm thinking back to 2012 can um generate so much opinions and so much yeah. energy it's fucking amazing. And I think we're on the beginning of that. As we go forward, there'll be a lot of discussions about those things. And and people who are involved in business and just worried about their bottom line, that was easy. Boy, those old days were really easy. Now they got to actually think about where what are they doing and how are they affecting others? And, and what kind of environment are they building for human beings, you know, you know, social sustainability and planetary sustainability issues. Like, it's very complex for a CEO. I'm glad I'm not the CEO. I'm glad Tony's the CEO. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Good for we him. look forward to, to following the story and see where it takes you and, and your CEO yeah. yeah, and, cool. and everyone. So uh, thanks for sitting down with us and, and chatting. Yeah, thank, thank you so much, John. Yeah, guys, take care. Man. And thanks to take everyone care. watching on YouTube as well. Remember to subscribe to the channel if you feel like it and also give some form of thumbs either way. Just react and... and no, 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 no. <laughs> Only thumbs up. Thumbs up. We don't want any negativity now. <laughs> Do whatever you feel like. Only thumbs up. You'll be blocked if you put a thumbs down. Yeah, thumbs down thumbs are up. cool too. Thumbs <laughs> down are cool. I understand. No worries. Yeah, listen to them. But, you know, stay tuned. Uh, more yeah. coming up this fall. Bye. I hope you enjoyed your visit to that conversation as much as we did. Now, if you want to stay updated and keep in touch with us, please subscribe to us on YouTube, follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and all other podcast platforms. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, and then Facebook. You guessed it, Soap by Slush. Thank you people for listening. Bye-bye.